this is happening. Nobody's talking about it. I feel shame because it's happened to me. I feel lonely because nobody has told me it's happening to them. I feel angry that it's happened to me and it's a risk that's so big that nobody told me about. The person I am politicising everything in my life, I immediately <laughs> felt like, okay, let's do something. I really felt like I wanted to have these conversations now rather than later. And that's when I decided to start the podcast. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. My name is Neve Marr. Thank you so much for joining us. As usual, incontinence, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, UTIs, postnatal depression, herpes, pelvic organ prolapse, disordered eating. These are just some of the topics discussed on the Bits of Me podcast. It's a show about women's bodies, all the things we should know about them and the stories behind them. Linnea Dunn is the woman behind the Bits of Me podcast and I was absolutely thrilled to chat to her earlier on to find out more about the importance of these stories. Linnea, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm absolutely thrilled to talk to you about the Bits of Me podcast. How are you keeping? How are you getting on? I'm grand. I'm grand. You know yourself, the lockdown and I have two kids at home, homeschooling, working, all that stuff. But, you know, um, I think we're pretty good, all things considered. How are you? Good. Yeah, good. I mean, honestly, I, I don't have kids. So when I hear of, of people homeschooling at home on top of everything else that's going on, I literally I've spoken to a few people now who have kids on this show. And I honestly do just think that you're all playing an absolute blinder. I wouldn't be able for it. Like, I honestly wouldn't be able to do it on top of everything else. So I do hope that that's all going well. Um, we are going to talk about the Bits of Me podcast. That's why I wanted to to get you on. But before we get into that, um, we haven't done our game in a while. So I wanted to take this opportunity to bring back six words or less and to have you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit more by describing yourself in six words or less. So it can be either a sentence or a jumble of words, whatever way you would like to do it. So have at it. I like things done right. (laughs) And I'm kind of hoping that I get to justify that statement. It was funny because I... um, when you said that I that I would try to describe myself in six words or less, I thought, oh God, one of these things. And my husband was joking and saying, I like everything to be perfect, which wasn't serious. But then yeah. when I started thinking about why he said that, I realized that there's a lot to it. Um, yeah. And I think it actually speaks to um, both who I am as a kind of political activist and a writer and somebody who's kind of motivated by fixing things and seeing potential and seeing how things can be improved. Um but probably also something that sometimes held me back because perfectionism can be quite debilitating sometimes. Um, so there's a bit of good and bad in it, I think. I love it. I love it. I love it. I like <laughs> things done right. For a second there, I thought that was just your intro to the six words or less. So I was just like, oh, this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be great. Um, but yeah, no, that's brilliant. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Um, I suppose before we kind of get into talking about the show, you kind of touched on it there with your activism and writing. But can you can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your own career and uh, yeah, what you've been up to for the last few years? Yeah, so I um, I grew up in Sweden and ended up moving here when I was 19. Um, so I've lived in Ireland for a long time, but I was in Dublin, or sorry, in uh, London for almost a decade in between. Mm. Um, and I've kind of always, I've always written one way or another since I was very, very, very little. Um, and it's always been there as a thread through everything I've done. Um, 
But then I also studied political communications at Goldsmiths, did a master's there. Uh, I did political science back home in Sweden at one point. And so those two things have kind of always been a constant in my life. And the writing then has taken me in different directions. I was editor of a magazine about Scandinavia for a good seven years there up until the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm kind of trying to combine the two very much. So I'm doing a lot of writing. I've always written a lot of opinionated pieces, I suppose, and often vented on my own blog just as a kind of outlet on a way to make sense of the world. Um, but it's something that's always come naturally to me. So I kind of, wherever I go, I end up falling back into writing. And at the moment, I'm trying to um, to do that more and use use my voice for something that feels like it's maybe having some kind of a positive impact. So I'm writing, I'm freelancing a lot at the moment and doing some, some work with Nordic brands, helping them with storytelling and that kind of thing as well. It's incredible. I, I, I want to touch on the books that you've written um, a little bit, like Good Mornings, for example. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it really does play into kind of where you've come to in terms of this actual podcast and kind of talking about things that, you know, potentially in the past haven't been spoken about as much. And can you kind of tell our audience a little bit about what Good Mornings is and, and how it's all about you know, the rituals of the morning and I suppose kind of setting aside a little bit of time for us. And I suppose as women, that's very important as well, because when we get on to talking about bits of me, it's it's all about kind of listening to your body and, you know, talking about things in a way that is not filled with shame and embarrassment, I suppose. Mm. Um, I suppose the book kind of fits into the bigger picture of me being a writer in English, but coming from Scandinavia and it started with the book that I wrote. My first book was about logum, which is a Swedish concept of kind of kind of balance, um, striking the right balance, not, not too much, not too little. Mm. Um, and when I wrote that book, I suppose between that and working as editor of a magazine about Scandinavian culture, it kind of positioned me in that field as an English language writer about Scandinavian culture, which is something yeah. I really love doing. Um, and then the the Good Mornings book came out of another Scandinavian concept, or another Swedish concept called Yökuta, which is about uh, rising early, an old tradition of rising early at dawn to hear the first bird song. Um, and that was kind of a word that was being thrown around with the other Nordic lifestyle trends at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like it was kind of striking a chord with this whole scene of people getting up for a morning swim uh, in the sea and more people trying to to be good to themselves and mind themselves in a different way that isn't all about hardcore going to the gym, losing weight, uh, but a kind of introspective trying to listen to ourselves and our own voices, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so that book came out of that. It was kind of a little bit of the, the Nordic thing and a little bit of the, I suppose, the, the wellness trend, which is not really something that I've written a lot about generally, but more the how, yeah, as you say, how do we mind ourselves? And specifically for me as, as a mother and you're, I suppose, trying to maybe do more than is really possible at the moment, especially in lockdown, way too much being yeah. asked of mothers. Um, and trying to, to care for others a lot of the time, which I think is really important and not to be undervalued at all. But it's so easy to forget about yourself and lose yourself when you're doing that. And Absolutely. a lot of those themes were explored in that book. It's so interesting because I feel like we're into our third lockdown now. And I feel like in the first lockdown, you know, 
there was this explosion of wellness and it was almost being forced upon us. It was almost like, mm-hmm. this is what you have to do in order to get you through lockdown. And it has, has to be, you know, an, at least an hour of yoga a day. You know, you have to read a book during the day. You have to do a sea swim. You have to do all this. And I found personally anyway, you know, three lockdowns in that finding that time for your, for yourself is actually really about just finding what works for you. It's almost like there was a little bit of pressure I found to kind of follow the crowd when it came to feeling okay. And you're never actually going to feel okay unless you feel okay. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, it's like I'm 100% with you. And I think it's actually, that's something that I emphasize a lot in the book as well, that it's not about doing wellness right. It's, it's yeah. about doing doing you. And I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but listening to yourself and, and finding what works for you. And I think I'm almost uncomfortable as well with the, the wellness way of telling people that unless you're doing all these things, um, you're not going to feel good and you're not going to be happy and then it's your fault. Um, and especially when it comes to lockdown and we're asked to do to manage all these things. And it is it's it's a really hard time for everyone. And it's not your fault if you feel awful because it's a really difficult time. Um, and and at the same time, I have religiously since day one uh, been exercising every day, not at all in any kind of hardcore fitness way. But I've been going for walks and I've been doing I was up this morning here doing physiotherapy exercises and yoga uh, in the lad's bedroom, <laughs> as you do while they're having breakfast. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just a way to stay sane. And I think there must be a way to talk about minding ourselves without mm-hmm. it being a guilt trip and, and telling people that you're doing it wrong if you're not. If you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's such a tough time and not minding yeah. yourself is yeah, it, it's it's really tricky. It's tricky. That's it. And you just got you have to you have to go easy on yourself as well. And I feel like, you know, there was a lot of frustrations around that in the first couple of lockdowns just because, you know, it was like, well, what are we actually meant to be doing? Are we meant to be doing all of these incredible kind of feel good tricks? And then if it's not equating yeah. to actually feeling good, then it's not worth it. But I suppose kind of speaking of frustration, I I, I do want to move on to the Bits of Me podcast. And it's it's just a quote that I found of yours, which is that you, you actually started the podcast due to frustration. And I suppose, mm. can you kind of give us a little bit of insight into that and, and the history of how you started? Because, you know, you're one season into it now. So anybody who hasn't listened to it there's a wealth of information there that you can go back there's 25 plus episodes that you can go and and listen Mm. to now about this so I suppose let's go back to to episode one pre-episode one and and talk about you know why you started this podcast in the first place yeah so um the context of it I suppose or the, the the bigger context of it is that I I've always been or for a very long time I've been involved in women's rights activism and I was heavily involved in the repeal campaign working mm-hmm. with parents for choice who were also dealing a lot with maternity rights and the impact of the eighth amendment on maternity care so that kind of work was already important to me um and then I myself had an experience where um, years after giving birth, I suddenly realised because I I suddenly had um, very intense, difficult symptoms that kind of progressed and became worse almost overnight um, and realised that I had pelvic organ prolapse, which is a very, very common uh, condition. But it's not really talked about a lot um, as something that impacts younger mothers. It's mostly talked about as something that impacts women after menopause, which is okay. not true. But that's kind of when symptoms t- tend to get worse. Um so that happened and I kind of panicked, started Googling, realized straight away what was going on, went to the GP, had the diagnosis confirmed, and then I was sent off with 
pretty much nothing, no plan, no support, no advice. Um, and what do you do? You go online, you find the support groups, loads of women there, yeah. really, really lonely, frustrated, feeling like this is happening. Nobody's talking about it. I feel shame because it's happened to me. I feel lonely because nobody has told me it's happening to them. Um, I feel angry that it's happened to me and it's a risk that's so big that nobody told me about. Um, and all these different bits. And I suppose I straight away felt the urge uh, as the person I am politicizing everything in my life I immediately felt like okay let's do something and as a writer naturally I started writing about it a lot first um and I I suppose I was working on something that I thought might become a book at some point Uh, but I was also really um I really felt like I wanted to have these conversations now rather than later and that's when I decided to start the podcast it's it's interesting because you you spoke there and you, you said a few words just you know anger and and frustration and loneliness is such an interesting one as well because you know I feel like you can go online and you can go and look for the symptoms which to be honest with you never really ends well but I think finding support groups and and, and listening to stories from other women is so key when it comes to this when it comes to women's health knowing that you're not alone um what what about the medical professionals. And I know that your podcast is more talking about the women's uh, stories, but um, in terms of your own story, uh, like how was that journey when it comes to getting actual help when it comes to, okay, I know what this is now that I'm going through. What can I do in order to, uh, you know, make things easier for me or make things better? I mean, we still have a long way to go in that arena. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's always hard to talk about this without sounding like you're tell you're saying that everyone is awful. Um yeah. which is absolutely not what I want to do. There are so many great people in the healthcare system fighting for people like me. Um yeah. but I suppose I've had good and bad experiences, but the problem, in my opinion, is mostly that so much of the system is so disjointed uh, and it's hard to, to figure out who's talking to whom and who can refer you where. Um and depending on who you speak to, you get different answers all the time. So I went to the GP, was told that, because in my particular situation, um, so prolapse can be treated in a number of different ways, but surgery is something that ideally you shouldn't, or most people don't want to go for until you're a little bit older because it doesn't last yeah. forever. So if you can deal with it conservatively with um, pelvic floor physiotherapy and stuff like that first, that's mm-hmm. usually much better. So that's what I wanted to do. Um but you can't get onto the public system to see a pelvic floor physio until you've seen a gynecologist to refer you. And the wait times to see a gynecologist are over a year. I waited a year and a half. Um, so I was sent home and told, I've, I've put you on the list. You'll hear from somebody in a year or more. Um, and then I went to see, I paid privately to see a pelvic floor physio. Now, that's what everyone does, I've come to realise. To me, that's bizarre that it should be something that you need to be able to afford that your your health in that way that being able to get back to a point where you can play with your kids where you can run around in the park with your children or jump on the trampoline or even lift your own children should be a case of having the money to be able to go privately and pay for that because it costs a lot of money yeah um but anyway so I did um and the physiotherapists that I've seen have been amazing um, I eventually got to see a gynecologist and had a really, really bad experience. Um, and she then referred me on to a physio who was also very good. Um, so I'm still kind of in the system now waiting to see somebody who might be able to advise me on where to go next and what to do. Yeah. Um, for me, 
I'm in a better place. The physio has got me to a point where I'm managing really well. Um, I have good days and bad days, but most of the time I'm, I'm fine. Um, but I suppose for a lot of women, that's exactly the problem. You kind of, maybe you read about something that you think might work for you and you want to try that and you just can't find an answer to where to see the kind of person who can help you with that. Yeah. Um, and the same, like for women who suffer with other complications like, uh, or conditions like endometriosis, like PMDD, I know so many women who have gone to see their GP and they've been misdiagnosed uh, or they've been fobbed off and told that it's probably just your period or your hormones and your grand. Um, And, you know, it takes years for people to find people go to these groups on Facebook and when they've had enough women tell them, look, that sounds exactly like what I've been through. They might be lucky enough to find the right GP who can refer them to the right whoever it is, psychotherapist or gynecologist or endocrinologist. And a lot of women end up paying themselves to go to England, which is just, I mean, it sounds a lot like the olden days, doesn't it? It really does. Just to just to kind of, it's almost the frustration of just banging on the door constantly. And I, I really connected with the, the endometriosis one just, you know, because the amount of times that I've Googled this one sentence, like if, if anybody ever goes through like my history, the amount of times that I've Googled, like, is it normal to be completely debilitated by your period for two to three yeah. days, like crouched over in pain? And you speak to other women and I feel like it's almost about the whole kind of shame and suffering and silence because you speak to some women then that it's like, yeah, you know, that happens to me and that happened to my mom and stuff. And it's like, well, actually, is this just happening to us? And because we can't access, you know, a gynecologist or you're on a wait list for a year, are we just kind of going, okay, well, maybe I'm just going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. And then you Google something, Mm. you find an article, usually in America, that's like, no, that's not actually normal for you to be that debilitated from something. And that, you know, you have to just keep banging on the door but it does get exhausting and you can understand why women just almost brush it off then and go well look maybe it's in my head you know like maybe it is just me and it is tricky as well to talk about pain because like what is pain we all we hear about periods really is that they're painful and we kind of joke about period pain but as you say there's period pain and there's the kind of period pain that means that you can't function for a few days, which just, it, it's usually a sign that something's not right. Exactly. Um, but the other thing I suppose as well is that there are a lot of things that are common, but that doesn't mean that they're normal. So after giving birth, loads and loads of women will have problems with incontinence. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever we hear about that in kind of pop culture on films, whatever, um, it's always laughed about as this thing that, oh, I can't jump on a trampoline without wetting myself or if I'm laughing or sneezing, um, you know. Um, and that's, that's true. That happens to so many women and we shouldn't be embarrassed about it. But the way we talk about it means that a lot of women just think that that's the way it is and they have to just put up with it. Yeah. Um, and so they'll just be suffering forever. Whereas if they went and got help fairly early on and saw a physiotherapist who could tell them the kind of exercise that they could do, they might actually be able to fix it. Because it's it's common, but it's not normal to live like that the rest of your life. That's it, yeah. Um, I, I kind of spoke in the intro just and I mentioned a few of the topics that are covered on, on each episode. And, you know, 
I have to be totally honest, some of the things I didn't know about myself. So I really see this podcast as a learning tool for me as a woman, you know, like I'm listening to these stories and I'm learning about other women's experiences, which is which is really invaluable, in my opinion. But in terms of your own goals, and I suppose, you know, it's it's not easy to say what what is the solution to something like this because obviously the first step is kind of shouting about it and talking about it making sure that people understand that women are going through these things to do with their own bodies but i mean what is the the overall hope for you when it comes to you know getting these women's stories out there now not just with the podcast just in, in general you know what is it that that you want to see come from from this i think like you were saying, a big part of it is ending the silence culture and the culture Mm -hmm. of shame. Um, And as long as women are messaging me with their experiences and saying, I'm I'm up for talking about this, uh, I felt really lonely because I didn't know anyone. If anyone can hear my story and feel less lonely, I want to help them. Um, As long as that keeps happening, I'd love to keep doing it uh, if I can just make it work. Um, but the second episode or the second uh, season will also feature slightly different episodes every now and then with maybe somebody who, who shares their experience, but it's also an expert and can answer questions and stuff yeah. like that. So I suppose it is about creating a body of work that can help women feel less lonely in their experience, but also help answer some questions and kind of shed light on a lot of these subjects that we just don't talk about enough. Um, when I had an article in the, in the Independent recently about the podcast, mm-hmm. I had women messaging me kind of saying, these are my symptoms, uh, which episode do you think might suit me? And that just goes to show that yeah. the information isn't readily available in the way that it should be. They shouldn't need to come to a podcast like mine because I'm not an expert um, and I'm learning as I go. And it's, you know, as you say, it's great. I think if we can all learn more about these things, that's brilliant to make for a much better context for people to talk about these experiences. But I suppose if if it can if it can lead to a greater conversation that might in turn lead to more services being available one way or another, or even that... GPs hear something that they might read up on something that they might meet somebody else. Do you know what I mean? That it's yeah, it's all part of the bigger picture. And I'm not naive enough to think that a podcast is going to change the healthcare system, but I think it's all interlinked. The fact that there isn't enough funding going into research, for example, endometriosis, the fact that um, the care that women receive after having a miscarriage is just not good enough, and it's usually not as respectful as it should be and compassionate as it should be. Um, mm. It's all part of talking about it, isn't it? That we we normalise maybe not the pain and the suffering, but the conversations um, and that that can contribute to a more compassionate context for having the conversations and seeking help and that women feel that they have a right to seek help and that they can advocate for themselves without feeling um, like they're being a hassle for asking, you know? Yeah. This is it. It's that kind of self-apologetic style that sometimes, you know, we can all be guilty of doing as in like, you know, I you don't need to apologize for being in a place and speaking your truth, no no matter what Mm. that is. You know, I feel like I've interviewed quite a few women, you know, over over the few years of this show. And one of the things that I found is that um, sometimes women are speaking about their health too late, you know, and I think that we're really seeing this at the moment uh, in the media and especially everything that happened, you know, with the cervical check scandal mm. and 
And I think that there's a lot to be said for a woman's intuition when it comes to their own health. And so having heard these stories, Linnea, would you say that like, you know, the majority of the time, the advice would be that if you feel like something is wrong and if you feel like you're not getting the answers that you are seeking or you're not satisfied, per- persevere, keep going, you know, because it is it is your health at the end of the day and there's nothing that's more important, right? Mm, absolutely. And I think the thing is, usually if you feel, if your gut is telling you that something is wrong, you're usually right. It doesn't mean that the thing that you've Googled is the thing that's going on. Maybe exactly. that's your worst fear. Uh, but the worst thing that will happen is that you go and see somebody and they say, no, it's not that, you're grand. And But but you need, you have the right to be yeah. checked for that stuff. And maybe something else is going on that can be, that you can get some help to fix whatever symptoms you're having. And it isn't easy. Like I know myself as somebody who has been talking about this now for a long time. And I know I keep banging on about the importance of, you know, advocating for yourself, being determined to get the help that you deserve. And I go into these appointments and mm. yet I'm almost apologizing for asking questions and saying that I read something or that there was a particular thing that I wanted to get checked. And I feel really, really stupid for doing it. Yeah. You know, so it's not easy, but Unfortunately, I think it's what we need to do. Absolutely. You you kind of gave us a little bit of insight into, you know, the second season and what people can expect. But if anybody is listening to this, you know, and they haven't listened to the first season, um, can you give us a few of your own personal highlights from the it, it's 25 and then you had like a roundup episode. So that's that's a lot of episodes. So can you tell us yeah. a little bit about, you know, how that was for you creating the whole first season and some of your own personal highlights? It's hard to pick highlights, but I think uh, what I would say is that it's quite obvious from listener numbers that um, episodes that deal with the more common experiences like miscarriage, for example, um, tend to be more popular because people like to hear other people talk about things that they've been through, things that they can relate to. Um, and there are two powerful episodes about pregnancy loss. Well, a few more actually deal with it, but there's one in particular with Sandy Connolly, who is a um, uh, postpartum doula from Bray um, who is talking about uh, secondary infertility and her journey of losing a number of pregnancies after the birth of her daughter um, which is really really powerful and if mm. anyone anyone is going through pregnancy loss um, and that kind of grief after losing a baby uh, that's a really good one to listen to um, but there are others that are dealing with things that I suppose a lot of women wouldn't have heard of, like, for example, the mesh surgery, um, which is a procedure that's been used a lot to treat incontinence and prolapse uh, mainly, and where a lot of women have suffered really, really bad consequences and where the the implant that they've had in the body, body, this piece of plastic in their vagina, is kind of travelling and it's blending with the tissues of the body and starting to cut their internal organs and all kinds of really, really terrible things. Um, so there's an episode with a campaigner who has experienced that herself and who's campaigning in the UK on that issue. Her name is Kat Samson. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really powerful one as well. But it's, it's really hard to, to, like some of them are very, very heavy. I had a friend tell me, look, yeah. I'm so proud of you for what you're doing, but I can't listen to these because they're just too depressing. <laughs> and yeah. like some of them really are very intense and heavy. So if you're not able for that, there are others that are 
a little bit lighter. For example, I spoke to Gillian Roddy, who is um, an Instagram kind of science educator, um, who is talking about her body image after giving birth and aging and Botox and all that stuff and more the kind of the feminism of beauty treatments and that stuff. So there's a wide range of stuff and that's part of what's really enjoyable about it. Some of them I can really relate to. Some of them are completely new to me. Uh, So I'm learning as I go as well, um, which is really great. Um, Yeah, but there's no shortage of stories to be told. I've got um, probably 10 or 15 episodes lined up to record for the next season. Um, Amazing. And if anyone has requests or they want to come on the podcast they can contact me um via instagram or email or anything at all and yeah and also your website as well i wanted to kind of say that before we wrap up just so that people can kind of access your work as well um can you give us that information so that people can get in touch with you yeah so my website is lineadon.com that's my full name um dot com and I have a blog on there, but I'm not really blogging a lot at the moment because I'm doing a lot of other commission work. Um, but I put links to everything I write up there and um, links to my books as well, links to yeah. the podcast. Um, and I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, Linnea Dunn. Linnea Dunn, so go find. And also, Linnea, as well, just on the second season and kind of when, when we can expect it, because I know the first season wrapped up there just before Christmas. Um, there's also a lot of work that goes into producing a podcast like this. So, you know, and I'm like you said, there's so many stories that still have to be told and it's important work, but it is time consuming. So, you know, for yourself, how are you managing that? Because obviously, you know, you're, you're a writer as well, and that's probably what pays the bills because, you know, the podcasting world at the moment is very competitive too. But when can people expect to, to see the second season? And uh, yeah, what's the time frame on that? Yeah, no, you're right. It's been tricky. And especially now that the schools are closed again and we're trying to homeschool while also trying to stay sane and work and all that stuff. It's been uh, it's been intense, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I was going to take a break. I, uh, I ended the first season just before Christmas and I was going to take January off and come back in February with the second season. But then everything happened and I just thought, you know what, I need a break. I, You know, there's just too much going on. Yeah. And then the Indo piece went out and I had such a great response and I felt, okay, there are all these women who want to tell their stories um, and I love doing the work, so let's try and make it happen. And so I decided to launch a Patreon um, for anyone who wants to support the cause and help to make the podcast happen again. So I'm hoping now um, through that and a little bit of extra effort and plenty of not, plenty of um, late evenings that I'll be able to launch uh, season two at the beginning of March. Um, Amazing. TBC, but yeah, it's coming soon. I'm I'm recording now again, and that's incredible. I mean, it's a yeah, it's an important note, you know, because it's such an important thing to get these stories out there. But also, this is, you know, your time, and I think that that's a really important thing to to kind of plug home to people who are listening as well. That like, you know, it's really important to support the people behind the scenes who are who are creating this. And I think seeing the reaction and myself as well, like I saw the Indo piece, and I didn't I didn't know about the podcast. I'm being totally honest. And then when I went and researched and kind of looked it up and listened to some episodes, I was like, this is this is awesome. So, yeah, fair play, Linnea. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on and, and share a little bit more of your own story as well. It's, it's great to get to know you. And I can't wait for the TBC date of the second season. We're really excited <laughs> about it. Thanks a million, Lee.